Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Turn our attention to the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, who joins us. Good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Uh, Very well indeed. Lots to talk about with you. Let's start, if we can, uh, with the story we've actually just been talking about, which is uh, Ian Patterson, the rogue surgeon. We were talking to lawyers, we've spoken earlier to Tracy Smith, one of his victims, not a patient, a victim. He cut off almost all of one of her breasts, even though she didn't have cancer. Um, uh, Again and again, we've had reports into failure of, of people to listen to whistleblowers in the NHS. It happened at Staffordshire, it's happened in many other cases as well. Um, and this is a surgeon who was able to go on treating uh, patients for eight years after the first whistle was blown. And we now have more and more doctors and nurses who are being uh, reported, someone even to the police, over their failure to act. Um, are you confident now, because the, the right Reverend Graham James, who carried out this inquiry, isn't confident, but are you confident that if we did have another rogue surgeon or no, another rogue senior figure in the NHS like this, that, that they would be found out quickly and removed because it seems to me that we we have not got this sorted yet we need to look at and implement the um those recommendations from the bishop i you know this is an awful case and it's it's one of those cases as health secretary that just makes you uh want to cry when you read about the report it's just awful and um the bishop has done a, a fantastic piece of work and I'm very grateful to him for doing it and for allowing all of the victims to, to, to be able to be heard, have their voices heard. And he's come forward with the recommendations. And we're going to, of course, look at all of those and, um, and, and make sure that we put through the changes. At the heart of this, according to the report, was the fact that different parts of the health system didn't talk to each other when... One part knew there was a problem, but the other part should have acted on it. And, you know, that sort of problem can and must be fixed. Um, well, I think an awful lot of people would would, would agree with that. But uh, should, we, should we be looking at criminal charges against some of these people rather than just being struck off by uh, you know, doctors or nurses' representatives? Because if you're going around butchering women or causing them to lose their life and people know about it and allow it to continue happening, surely that must be a criminal offence. Well, that is a, that, of course, whether or not it's a criminal offence under the existing rules is a matter for the, the CPS, and they do get involved in some cases. Uh, and uh, as, the, as the Secretary of State, it, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to get involved in those decisions, but what I am allowed to get involved in and do and will is to make sure that the rules are changed 
to, to, to make sure that we learn from these awful cases. OK, let's also talk about uh, the coronavirus. Obviously, a lot of people very fearful, uh, not least the 30,000 Britons still living in China who've been urged to flee the country uh, if, uh, if, if they wish to cho- choose to leave the country. A warning yeah. from the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Rabi, your colleague, uh, has uh, said that uh, basically a lot of the consular staff, the embassy staff, are going to be leaving and therefore if people don't get out now, they're going to be stranded in the country. Is this because of a concern that actually the coronavirus uh, problem is more severe than the Chinese government is saying? Well, it's a question of how fast it's growing. You know, the, the number of cases appears to be doubling around every five days. In Wuhan, which is the epicenter of this epidemic in China, the, uh, the, the number of cases is, is very high, and we've been sending in flights to repatriate people, as you know, because there aren't any commercial flights out. Uh, in the rest of China, the, the, the proportion of cases is much lower, and therefore the risk to any individual is currently lower, but that, that rate is going up fast. And that's the problem with this virus, is that it does spread quickly, and you know, doubling every five days is, is, is fast. The commercial flights are still available on some airlines, and therefore we've put in place this recommendation now. Okay, so another 11 British nationals are going to be flown home on an international flight. Uh, So 11 came back on Sunday and another few are going to be uh, on this uh, this flight coming out this weekend as well. Um, How confident are you that we can contain the virus here? Because we've still got issues of the fact that some like 400 people who arrived back during the incubation period uh, from the area, from Wuhan, the surrounding Hubei province, they arrived back in the UK on those direct flights from British Airways and Virgin. uh, and, uh, And yet they've not been traced, so we don't know whether they're infecting people? Well, that number who we still need to trace has now been uh, reduced to under 200. Uh, and um, Why does it take so long? I spend hours having to put in APIS information whenever I got on a flight. Why do we not know where these people are? Well, get, getting that information has been difficult. In fact, that's one of the lessons that we've learned from this is that uh, having good information about people who come into the country in order to be able to contact them for all sorts of reasons, let alone this, uh, is uh, is important and needs to happen. But that's a uh, that you know that's a that's a question for once we've dealt with the um, with the virus uh, because that's a that's a that's a legal change. The que- the work we've been doing is making sure that people here are safe, both when we repatriate people that they are properly quarantined, uh, and that's underway. And also that that's people from Wuhan and then people from the rest of China, that they understand what they need to do if they fall ill. You know, this is all, we t- I take a precautionary approach. It's all based on the science and the understanding of how an epidemic like this uh, spreads. The, the good news is that the numbers of cases outside of China remains relatively low. There have been two cases here, I think 10 in Germany and 12 in France. And we've immediately been on top of those cases to isolate the people, put them in quarantine, get them into hospital and give them the treatment they need and contact all the people they've been in contact with to uh, to, to try to spot any other spread of the virus. But as you can tell from what is happening to the numbers in China, this virus does spread and spread easily. The other thing is that there is something everybody can do, which is the same thing that you should do to stop getting flu, which is wash your hands regularly. And if you have a cough or a sneeze, use a tissue and then throw the tissue away. I mean, I know this sounds really simple and straightforward, but it's incredibly important advice. 
because it's simple things like this that help to stop the spread of a virus. OK, can we also talk about other big stories this week? Of course, uh, after the uh, latest terror attack on our streets on Sunday, uh, the government's promised to bring in anti-terror legislation yeah. uh, on uh, by as early as Friday, uh, which uh, would, uh, it would appear, already be facing the prospect of a challenge from civil rights organisations like uh, civil liberties organisations like yeah. Liberty uh, and even the uh, government's sort of independent advisor on counterterrorism legislation has said uh, the measures you're looking at would be challenged in the courts, retrospective legislation to keep convicted terrorists behind bars for longer. What is the government going to do if that legislation is actually struck down and you can't keep dangerous people, convicted jihadi terrorists, behind bars uh, for longer? Well, we'll change the law. That's what we're planning to do. I saw this from a lawyer saying um, this might be against the law. Well, we're planning to change the law and we're planning to change the law to protect the public. Uh, the This idea that that people can be released early, it's not about the length of their sentence, it's about whether they serve their full sentence. They can be released early when they... Uh, nobody has checked whether or not they're a risk to the public and that is what happens without there being something like a parole board to... Uh, to make, pass judgment over that decision and to assess the individual, it's perfectly reasonable to change the law to stop that from happening. And I think the public would be absolutely 100% behind us. Uh, also, we understand that the current Culture Secretary, Baroness Nikki Morgan, is going to be making a, a, a speech today and she's already written an article about the future of the BBC, particularly the licence fee mm. and whether or not it should be decriminalised or not. Currently, if you know if you don't pay your electricity bill, uh, that's a matter between you and the electric company and you might mm. go to civil courts, but mm. you're not going to end up behind bars because it's effectively a tax. Uh, you're a former Culture Secretary. Would you mm. agree with the decriminalisation? criminalisation of uh, the uh, non-payment of the BBC licence fee? Well, we're going to have a consultation on it. So if people have strong views on this, then, they should, for you for your then view. they should write in. My view is that we should consult. And, uh, and that's you don't, you what don't the have an, You are culture secretary for years. You don't have an opinion on it. Uh, well, it's that I think that we're taking the right steps to put this forward. After all, as you say, if you have an electricity bill, you still pay your electricity bill. It's just that it's a normal civil bill. It's unusual that the licence fee is in a different category. And um, there's a, you know, the, the, I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable thing to consult on. And, and what sort of time period, if your consultation did result in a, a, a call for an end to that decriminalisation? Oh, well, I think um, we can get on with it if we need to. And, and, and what would the net effect be on the BBC? They reckon they could lose hundreds of millions of pounds of income. Well, I'm not sure about that. And the, the big change here, the really big thing that's going on, is that, is that technology is changing. And, the, uh, uh, and that underpins all of this. You know, the idea that some, one piece of equipment is called a television and a different piece of equipment is called a computer is increasingly um, out of date and, and certainly will be in the years to come. And so that's a, that's a policy challenge that we've got to grapple with. I, look, I think that I, I love talk radio but I also love the BBC <laughs> so I would pay my licence fee uh, if I was um, it, you know in return for getting BBC services I think it's brilliant but we're, that's not the proposal on the table the proposal is that um, that vulnerable people shouldn't be sent to prison but instead the normal processes for collecting what is owed that happens in every other part of life should be followed in this instance. That's the proposal that we're consulting on. OK, Health Secretary, former Culture Secretary, Matt Hancock, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ian Patterson. Uh, he was a breast surgeon working at both NHS and private hospitals in the West Midlands. He's currently serving a 20-year jail term after being convicted of wounding with intent. But 11,000 women were operated on by Ian Patterson over many, many years, leading a number of those women to go on to die of their cancer. Well, thousands of women's could have been, women could have been spared from being maimed at the hands of the doctor if it was not for what the man carrying out the inquiry into his work, right reverend Graham James is called willful blindness by fellow medics. In his independent inquiry, uh, he found that uh, numerous people had raised concerns and yet nothing was done. Well, let's talk about this with Tracy Smith. Uh, she is one of Ian Patterson's victims and she uh, kindly joins us now. Good morning to you, Tracy. Good morning. Um, this story is extraordinary and the fact that it has happened uh, is so recently. We're not talking about something happening in the 1950s, uh, but it's something that's happened incredibly recently. Now, um, tell us what happened to you. Tell us your story and what Ian Patterson did to you. I went to see Ian Patterson in December of 2008 as a private patient. I found a lump in my left breast. Um, once I'd seen him, he did a mammogram and a scan. He didn't do a biopsy. Um, went out of the room, had the test, came back. He said, it's sinister. You have cancer, it needs to come out. It could spread. Um, it will be a wide local incision that you will have under general anaesthetic. Within days, I was in surgery, and when I came round, I had very little... There was a massive difference between my left and my right side, and on questioning that, he said, oh, it was much worse than we thought, and we've just had to take more to be, you know, as a precaution. Um, it went on, in and out, having scans and checkups, and then in 2012, I was recalled, uh, to be told that West Midlands Police had wanted to speak to me as Ian Patterson was under investigation. Um, I'm, I never had cancer, I only had a two centimetre cyst. And he removed basically three quarters of one of three, your breasts? Yes, three quarters from the left side. 
Tracy, I mean, it's it is absolutely extraordinary what happens. So people like you having operations that you didn't need, and and other women who didn't have it as extensive a mastectomy as they did need, not removing all of the tissue, and therefore we know a number of those have gone on to die. Um, what are your feelings towards Ian Paston right now? He's serving time behind bars, twenty years in my view, not enough. But what are your feelings towards him? Um, it is never ever given any reason or apology, even through the trial. He still stood in the dark and was in denial. Up until last night, he's in denial. He's made a press announcement to say that he's appealing his sentence. Well, you know, you've had two years to do that. Why do you have to announce that yesterday? And it's it's like a constant game with him. Do you think it's a... What is it? We've heard this a lot about some particularly consultants, a God complex, that he just sort of somehow thought he could play God with women and their bodies. I've always said he liked to, with regards to the non-cancer patients, he liked to tell you you've got cancer, he'll give you cancer, but he'd like to tell you that he's saved you and taken it away. So, he's the, yeah, he's the saviour. Yeah. And now, of course, the big issue that's been raised by Right Reverend Graham James, the inquiry chairman, and I have to say I do think he's done a fantastic job and has really uh, spoken out on behalf of, of you know, you're, you're not a patient of Ian Patterson, you're a victim of, of a criminal. Um, and, and the key thing he's pointed out is the willful blindness, that was his words, uh, by fellow medics. And we know, we know some people were raising concerns. Lots of those people then went on to be investigated themselves. Um, but people raised concerns. And again and again, it would appear that the hospital authorities, both in the NHS and in the private hospital he was working on working in um didn't didn't want to have a recall of all the patients they didn't want to to you know to, to go public with this they didn't want to didn't take want any to action because they thought it would be bad for the reputation of their trust which absolutely defies belief it seems to me a lot of those people should probably be in jail as well exactly we we've said when we were giving our evidence to the inquiry that ian patterson was not one on his own there was other people that could see what Ian Patterson was doing regarding the cleavage sparing and leaving too much tissue. Um, also, there was oncologists, there was um, people in the labs that was sending over negative results, and then he was going on to remove healthy breasts. And a lot of it, they just left him to it, because in the private sector... There was no multidisciplinary team meetings, as there should be, um, where you've got a team of people that look after your care. Ian Patterson and one breast cancer nurse were just allowed to continue and continue and until we're now looking at, in the private sector, he operated on 6,617 people, which was more than any other doctor. Yeah. Which, which suggests something was going wrong. Well, 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 what the, the red flag. Yeah, well, what the inquiry chairman, Graham, Graham James, had to said, he said, um, some medics who work with him must have known about his apparent clinical practice, uh, yet allowed to continue. He said, this would be tragic enough if it was simply about a rogue surgeon, but it is much more than that. It's the story of a healthcare system which is much, which has proved itself dysfunctional at almost every level when it came uh, to keeping patients safe and where those who were the victims of Patterson's malpractice were let down time and again. Opportunities to stop him were missed time after time, once action was finally taken, patients were let down again by wholly inadequate recall procedures in both the NHS and private sector. He says, my report sets out what can only be described as willful blindness in relation to his behaviour. He says, colleagues avoided or worked around him. Some could have known, while others should have known, and a few must 
have known. It's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and certainly a lot of people talking about uh, in uh, Patterson uh, needing to face a manslaughter. I would say murder charges. I, I really think we need to uh, stress this. And uh, as accomplices, if you if you stood by and saw it happening, you did nothing. I don't know how you've not committed a criminal offence. Uh, Tracy Smith, uh, you're very brave to speak out in a campaign on this. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here at Talk Radio, one of Ian Patterson's many thousands of victims. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. David Cameron's police bodyguard sparked panic on a British Airways jumbo jet crossing the Atlantic uh, when he left his loaded Glock 19 semi-automatic pistol in the loo. He also left the passports for the officer and David Cameron uh, in, in the toilet and they were found, luckily, by a passenger who alerted the crew. Uh, now, the captain had confirmed that the gun had been found had, had been found uh, over the tannoy, which, as one passenger said, freaked everyone out. Not surprisingly, the close protection officer has now been suspended following, uh, sorry, pending a full investigation. Well, let's talk to another close protection officer and former SAS reservist, Justin James about this. Good morning to you, Justin. Good morning. How are you? Uh, very well indeed. I have to say, probably better than the poor sod who walked into a plain toilet and found a loaded gun. I mean, given the terror attacks we've had in recent past, I can't imagine how terrified they must have been. I know, I know. I mean, there's no excuse for leaving a weapon. I mean, the only thing I can think of was he half asleep when he went into the toilet and, you know, he's come out and just left it all in there and, you know, sat down and just gone back to sleep. I mean, it was a long haul flight, but I, I, it just, I just can't believe he's done it. I mean, everybody's you know, as a bodyguard, when you give a weapon, it, it, it becomes part of you. You just don't leave it. You just don't leave it lying around at all. Well, this is it. I mean, it is it is extraordinary that you could live... And again, playing toilets, I, really them, I mean, I don't know if they're playing... They're in business class, and the loos in business class are huge and full of other things you might not notice. Most of us would probably spot something put down, actually. Most of us would probably go into a plain loo and not want to put anything down at all, judging by the state of them, usually. Um, but but this is the, it's the fact that it was found by, uh, uh, you know, another passenger who had the sense to, you know, hand it in calmly to an attendant. Of course, the captain yeah, was aware they were on the plane, would have known there were armed officers on the plane. But, yeah. I mean, not to do too many what-ifs, this could have been a very big what-if in terms of who found that gun. Of course, completely. I mean, the thing that springs to my mind is if it was a young person that went in. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've got the, um, you know, the, the, the terrorism aspect of it. I mean, that's, I think that would have been quite slim, given that, you know, when you, once you board a plane, it should be relatively quite safe. Um, but, but yeah, yeah so you say, if a child, if a child had found it and thought it was a, a toy... A toy, exactly, yeah. And, and that, that, in my mind, would be you know, disastrous. And I think that's, that's probably the thing that could have happened. Luckily, you know, a member of the public did pick it up and they were responsible enough to hand it in. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.